Monticello Plantation. There's a difference between history and nostalgia. Heading out from my home in Washington, D.C. in the morning, I drove against traffic, moving from the new condos of an increasingly gentrifying D.C. through the single-family home suburban landscape of Northern Virginia and into the vast green expanse surrounding I-95 South. As I drove to Monticello, I observed how Virginia is largely a tale of two states. Northern Virginia, those incorporated municipalities that serve as suburbs to the District of Columbia, has always felt somewhat distant from the South in the ways I grew up understanding it. But beyond the suburbs, once I started driving past the diners and gas stations with Dixie flags hanging in their windows, I was reminded that this state was once the bastion of the Confederacy. As I made my way down the highway, finding myself on cruise control both in the car and in my mind, I saw a sign in my peripheral vision indicating the entrance to a plantation. Assuming it to be Monticello, I put my blinker on and began to turn, only to jerk the car back onto the highway when I realized that this was not Thomas Jefferson's plantation, but that of James Madison, Jefferson's dear friend, confidant, fellow Virginian, and successor to his presidency. Madison's Montpelier Plantation, less than 30 miles northeast of Jefferson's, is almost a prelude to Monticello. Not simply as a result of their relative proximity, but because the two men share similarly contradictory relationships to the aspirational documents they ushered into existence while enslaved people worked on their plantations. The Madison family held more than 300 enslaved people over the course of their time on that property. Both of the men inscribed words that promoted equality and freedom in the founding documents of the United States while owning other human beings. Both men built a nation while making possible the plunder of millions of people. What they gave to our country, and all they stole from it, must be understood together. I did not turn into Montpelier, but there was something about driving past it on the way to Monticello that reminded me that Jefferson was not singular in his moral inconsistencies. Rather, he was one of the founding fathers who fought for their own freedom while keeping their boots on the necks of hundreds of others. Within a few miles of Monticello, the highway transitions into a one-way road lined with white pines and hemlocks. I pulled into the dirt parking lot and made my way up the concrete stairs to see if tour tickets were still available. One of the first things I noticed about Monticello is how the vast majority of its visitors seem to be white. It's not so much unexpected as it is markedly conspicuous to see a plantation that has had its ratios reversed. There were a few tourist groups from different Asian countries, but they were the small exception. 200 years ago, Monticello, like most plantations, was populated largely by the enslaved descendants of Africans, while white laborers and Jefferson's family were a much smaller proportion of its inhabitants. At any given time at Monticello, there were approximately 130 enslaved people, far outnumbering Jefferson, his family, and the paid white workers. I walked toward the stately mansion, which sat just a couple hundred feet ahead of me. Waves of heat rose from the dirt path, and mulberry trees spread themselves out across the land, creating intermittent pockets of cool respite for visitors. Underneath a lush sugar maple on one side of the house was a group of about a dozen people all sharing what city they had come from. The group ranged in age and geography, spanning generations and state borders. And what about you, sir? The guide said as I scurried under the tree where the rest of the group was standing. 
I'd chosen the tour that began 10 minutes after I arrived, one that focused specifically on Jefferson's relationship to slavery. From D.C., I said. Right down the road, he responded, nodding his head and giving a smile that was as courteous as it was practice. Before I was able to gather myself and bring my full attention to the group, I was struck by what lay behind us, in the distance. The entire plantation sat at the top of a mountain ringed by a thick cascade of sundry trees, so tightly packed together that I could not tell where one began and the next ended. Behind the first string of trees were rolling hills that went off in every direction as the silhouette of outlying mountains kissed the clouds resting over their peaks.